Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, guys. This is John Hendrickson and Christina Metterk with Afraid of the Dark. We're back. Yes. And before we begin, the show is not a substitute for physical health advice, therapy, or financial advice. If you do need any kind of instruction or guidance in those areas, please contact the appropriate professionals. First of all, we, we know you've missed us, so we apologize for the the lag time in between our first episode on trauma to this one. It's just, there's been so much chaos going on with the power outages. And then <laughs> we both had some scheduled vacations that popped up to where here we are probably close to over a month between uh, episodes. So for those of you that really enjoyed that first episode, I apologize for the delay, but we're back and we're going to get refocused and cruising. Yeah. And so before we begin part two of trauma and its impact on functioning, just a quick review from the first show on trauma and how it impacts our attachment styles. So we discussed um, secure attachment, which we all want. And that is um, basically when we have healthy attachment style, our needs are met. We connect with our families in a healthy way. I mean, not to say we don't have challenges, but for the most part, um, there is a secure attachment that is created. Then there's the avoidant attachment. And that's basically when a caregiver is not sensitive or reactive to distress. So a child's crying and crying. And it just keeps, there's nobody that responds to that child, regardless of whatever emotion he or she um, goes into. Been there, done that. <laughs> so, And the next one would be a resistant attachment style, which is someone who is anxious, preoccupied, uh, the caregivers on that end. Um, they're inconsistent, very unpredictable with comfort or responsiveness to your distress. Um, again, I mean, I'm sure we've all encountered that in some ways. Uh, a child may use neediness or extreme emotional responses to get attention of the caregiver. This is this is the caregiver that is very distressed, and the child will learn to be quiet over time because they're like, "Hmm, my mom or dad really can't handle things, so I don't want to bother them." So, <laughs> just, oh boy. Anyway. And the next one would be the disorganized attachment, where the caregiver's behaviors are in some way atypical or frightening. A child has no clear strategy for seeking comfort or attention. And the adult on that end is tumultuous, relating, doesn't know how to express needs, fears, showing vulnerability. Yeah, that's like the parent that suddenly goes into a rage and you have no idea why. You're like, what? What just happened? So, you know, when you hear those attachment styles, it's no wonder so many of us are kind of fucked up, let's be honest. (laughs) Well, and then from there, we also talked about in the first show, big T's and small T's. So the big T's, again, are are death of a loved one, Um, you know, physical, emotional, sexual abuse that happens to us from either family members and or um, people that we know or even strangers, Um, intense car accidents, um, 
And then we have the small T's would be like, you know, loss of like breakup with a boyfriend, loss of a dog. They're still traumatic, but they're not as traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, so today's show, we're going to go into how attachment traumas and or big T's and small T's, how they impact our functioning. And the, the first place that I want to start is how trauma impacts our core beliefs about ourselves. For example, if you're a child that has been abused by your parents, you're probably going to form the beliefs, I'm unlovable, I'm bad, there's something wrong with me, and they're going to stick with you for quite some time. Because those are really important people in your life. And if they're hurting you, most of the time, we will personalize what happens to us. We will tell ourselves it's our fault. I did something wrong. I'm bad. Um, things of that nature. That's, it, it's so understandable. I mean, we're, we're children. We don't know any better. Exactly. So when we see our parents uh, mm-hmm. treating us in such a way, we're always going to think, well, what could I do differently to, well, get them to not treat me that way? Yeah. And, you know, these, these beliefs uh, sit deep inside of us and we will, you know, if someone does something to us, if we've had a lot of traumas that we've been through, we will funnel the experience through that lens. And that's the piece that I want to really call attention to is the beliefs we create about ourselves are really formed from our upbringing they set the foundation for how we see ourselves and how we feel we deserve to be treated. So if our parents were unkind to us, then there's almost this, so that's the intra-psychic version of I'm bad, there's something wrong with me. And then the, the interpersonal uh, reality that usually forms from that is, well, the world is going to be mean to me and the world is going to not treat me well. So we actually seek out those kinds of experiences a lot of the time to validate the beliefs we have about ourselves. So there's this, there's this really, um, there's this really clear connection between how we see ourselves and how we view the world. Mm-hmm. It's crazy when you put it that way, mm. you know, cause you, you think as you're growing up that you don't want to have that kind of experience as you get older yet yeah. in these twisted kind of way subconsciously, we still will gravitate towards those same kind of relationships as we get older, even Absolutely. though we think that's not what we want. I call it, I call it being comfortable in our uncomfortableness uh, because that's mm-hmm. what feels familiar. If your family treated you poorly, you equated that somehow to what it means to be loved, to what it means to have a semblance of connection. Right. And that, that, that trauma, that dysfunction becomes part of what is familiar. And so we use it to gauge things. Now, I, w- I want to just preface all of this with this is, this is something that happens for us if we don't do any work on our traumas. Right. So this is, this is the untapped mind, the person who hasn't done any work. This is just, you know, a depiction of how, somebody who has trauma, has experienced trauma, will move through the world without any support, though. And, and sometimes even when we get support, it takes, it takes a while to, 
<laughs> to unravel a bunch of this. So yeah, Im- trauma impacts our core beliefs about ourselves. Well, getting back to that, just yeah. to reiterate, that that's dealing with big T stuff, but it also goes with small T's too. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't need to be something really big T traumatic to follow you through your life. It could just be a lot of small T's. I mean, it all I agree. is going to impact us in some ways I, if we're not being really conscious and aware of it. Yeah, I, that's a really good point, John, because I've worked with a lot of people that got bullied in school, mm-hmm. and that wouldn't be necessarily a big T, but it's definitely like, you know, ha- happened over and over or even just a handful of times, and, and those those small T experiences, you know, impact how we feel the world views mm-hmm. us. And then we will adapt our inner world to make sense of that thinking like, Oh, well, there's something wrong with me or I don't belong. That's right. a big one. I don't belong. I'm an outsider. And um, we will gravitate around that. So moving from how trauma impacts, how we view ourselves, our core beliefs, what we think about ourselves The next piece is how we treat our bodies. This is a huge one, okay? So (laughs) trauma, I want you to to realize this, is the doorway to addiction, okay? So trauma is literally the threshold that I'd say most of us that have had trauma pass through and enter into addiction. So, and that could be alcohol, emotional addiction, love addiction, cigarettes opioids, you name it, right? So this is because when we've experienced traumas, we will tend to numb out, dissociate, which means leave the body, not feel our body, and try to stay away from the pain that it's, it's created for us. And so substances and uh, different addictions help us do that if we haven't worked on minimizing the trauma we feel in the body. What about, I'm just spitballing here. Mm -hmm. Again, I've never had any big T things in my life. Um, And you're talking about a doorway to addiction. Mm -hmm. What about just lack of communication? Is that a way of numbing out when it comes to not wanting to face certain truths that might be staring at us that we'd rather push away? Absolutely. I think it's a way to avoid conflict. I would say that would be like a withdrawer kind of thing. That's a really good question. Um, And I mean, I I don't know. It's interesting you put it that way. I would almost think people that would draw from things they want to avoid. I mean, of course it's not going to be signified as an addiction, but in a way it kind of is. Well, I think over time it could become a way of instead of addiction and like an adaptation mm-hmm. style where, you know, the the compulsion becomes to avoid conflict and or not reveal who they are. Mm-hmm. So they stay hidden inside themselves instead of revealing what's happening, knowing that it could create an explosion and or conflict. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I brought that up because I think. I think a lot of us, maybe we don't go towards an addictive person or addictive uh, way of coping, but withdrawing, I think a lot of us do. Mm-hmm. A lot of us do. Yeah. So, because I think I was one of those people to avoid conflict, to avoid, mm-hmm. you know, some real, some reality. I yeah. would withdraw and just 
push it away. That was my way of coping with something. So yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, just to expand on that, you know, you shared about, you know, some of the dating patterns that you fell into and those, you know, it's kind of like looking unpacking that a little bit. Um, the cycle of not really feeling fulfilled, not really getting your needs met in the past. Mm-hmm. that's a result of those small T's. So I wouldn't say those are traumas, right? but they're definitely painful ways of being where you're not really feeling your needs are met. And so those, you know, whether I, I think now that we've just kind of unpacked that, that big T traumas are the door, the doorway to addiction. Mm-hmm. Most people that have been abused physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually, Um, have had horrific things come out of like wars or Mm -hmm. they have addictions. I I can't imagine that they don't. So, and if, and if you don't good for you, that's amazing. But I do believe that most of us has have formed ways because when the pain comes up, most of us without having done any work, we will isolate and, or we will kind of secure ourselves you know, in a way where we don't want to reveal what's happening and we'll hide it. And so we'll go into coping behaviors to deal with what we have going on inside of us. So yeah, the physical body becomes a war zone. I think that's what I want to say is when we have untapped traumas that we haven't yet worked on, when they get activated, like let's say, Um, we are dating somebody and we get into a fight with him or her and we grew up in a very violent, tumultuous family and they get violent with us and, or they start yelling at us. We're going to have a traumatic response. We're going to go into fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. And the cortisol is going to get released in the body and we're not going to really know what to do. And we're going to be back in that state of being of not wanting to be in the body because it doesn't just get kicked up in that moment. It goes back and references to all the years of pain that we felt. It's very commute. It's very cumulative. So it, it, it draws up. That's why a lot of times we have big reactions to things we shouldn't maybe have big reactions to because we have so much stored. Yes. Yeah, sure. Something like that. Yeah. I love what you just said. The three S I'm going to remember that fight flight or freeze. Yes. That is super good. I dig that. And, you know, when we are doing one of those three things, the the piece to remember is that the body is secreting cortisol to help us protect ourselves, flee, or not feel if we get hurt when we freeze. So it takes 45 to 60 minutes for the body to metabolize that shot of cortisol. So if we're living in fight or flight states of being a lot of the time, the body is not only secreting cortisol, but we are losing memory. Our memory starts to go because the hippocampus over time is greatly impacted by cortisol. That's why a lot of people that are stressed out a lot will say like, I, I, my memory's gone. I, what's wrong with me? Is there something wrong with me? And I'll say, no, no, no. That's just your hippocampus is too much stress too much cortisol. So again, you know, these traumas. That's just the way the body is just trying to protect you. Exactly. That's what it thinks it needs to do. Yes. Fascinating. And then there's a neurobiological impact to that. And 
the, the piece that I want to also accentuate is when we're living in fight, flight, or freeze, because we haven't dealt with traumas and or things that have, that have happened to us that have greatly impacted us, we live in a sympathetic dominant nervous system. That's the fight or flight nervous system. So what that means is we are not in a relaxed, intuitive state where we can see, you know, broad, more broadly, we can see angles and layers of things. We live in a very narrow system. It's not a parasympathetic calm nervous system. It's a sympathetic. So we're just narrow, reactive. Our lives are very A to B to C and back to A. There's not a lot of openness or exploration. So it really impacts us, hmm. our systems, our internal systems. That is interesting stuff. Yeah. So, you know, just to review. But how do you recognize if you're in that state? I mean, can you, if, yeah, mindfulness. I would say with mindfulness. But if you're if you're seeing things that narrowly, and the body's trying to, and your mind is trying so hard to, quote unquote, protect you, even though it's doing the complete opposite. Yes. It's got to be difficult to be mindful of where you're at. Well, I think a lot of people get there because their body gets so fatigued. I think I think people go into things like therapy and counseling because they're they're just so tired, they're so fatigued, and it's usually a therapist and or you know a counselor that will help to diagnose that what they're dealing with is is trauma, is depletion, is you know there's depression and anxiety that that go with trauma mm-hmm. and. Um, I will say for myself, because I do yoga and mindfulness exercises, I'm able to really notice when I'm in a sympathetic dominant nervous system. And it doesn't even have to be a trauma. It could be driving from Nevada City down to Roseville. <laughs> and aggressive drivers are on the road. And I'm breathing heavier. And I get to REI or wherever it is I'm going. And I'm like, noticing like my body's activated. And I will now go into like breathing exercises and things like that. But I, I do feel that like what you said with trauma, a lot of times it is hard to notice it unless somebody points it out to you and says, Hey, you're in a trauma response right now. It's like you were saying earlier, how you, if you're, if you're living, if you're brought up in a chaotic environment, yes, that that's your normal. Yep. So it's gotta be really difficult as you get older to not recognize that as, hey, you know what, this really isn't normal. That is, and it probably freaks you out okay. when when you finally do maybe get into mm-hmm. a normal environment or relationship mm-hmm. because it's so calm and peaceful. No, that it probably freaks the shit out of you. Yeah. No, that that is a brilliant uh, deduction from what we just shared. Yes, when you grow up in a, a really intensive environment and/or have had a lot of traumas. Look at it this way. Your your nervous system gets set at a specific thermostat and it sits there and we, it just operates there. And when we do come into situations, like you said, where things are calm and they're relaxed, we do freak out. What's the catch? What's the catch? (laughs) Then you start looking 
for what's going to come at you and hurt you or people potentially mess you people up. People are being nice to me, so they must want something. There's <laughs> got to be something wrong here. Well, a great example would be so if you've had a lot of dysfunctional relationships in your life and you meet a guy or a woman and they seem to be nice <laughs> and good. You're going to freak out. You're going to be like, wait a second. Wait, when is it coming? Exactly. What's going on? I got to distance myself. I need to step away because <laughs> what you're used to is, is that's not your norm. And that's not how you gauge the world. And remember the beliefs that you've created about yourself are right. going to dominate how you interpret that other person. So that, that, that's, I, I want to just emphasize that for a minute. So we just talked about the physical body and you know, how it is not a comfortable place to be. So a lot of us turn to addictions and, and, you know, have a really hard time being in our bodies. And the piece I talked about before around how we see ourselves, how we view ourselves and the beliefs we form, I want you to see it like putting on a pair of glasses. So our trauma glasses are what we're looking through. So we're constantly seeing things through a more negative uh, bent, especially if we have these negative core beliefs about ourselves, then that is the perceptual lens we're going to interpret the world through. And what's interesting about traumas is we can be going through our life and feeling kind of positive and happy. And then our trauma gets kicked up. Like I said, somebody freaks us out or life throws us a curveball and boom, those glasses go on. And now we are interpreting everything through that lens. Mm -hmm. We are no longer, mm -hmm. we are in a black, white, black or white lens, all or nothing lens, and we are not in that broad, calm, more open state of being. I think we all run into that. I mean, there's stuff that happens to me every single day that might trigger something from the past, and I just got to remind myself, take a breath, relax. <laughs> it has nothing to do with back then. And yeah. it's, but it's, it's easy to say it. It's still difficult to accept that mm -hmm. and just believe it. Yep. Because like you said, it's, it's triggering yeah. that response that you got so accustomed to yep. feeling. And it's going to take your nervous system 45 to 60 minutes to come back to a calm state of mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. if you don't get triggered again. Right. No, it's, <laughs> it's some, I tell you, uh, you know, I went through it a couple of weeks ago. It's a, it's a trip. It's funny how something can trigger you into having those moments. And, you know, you, you recognize it and you can try to talk yourself down from it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one thing that you've taught me over these, these shows and over the past year is just when you feel your chest tighten, <laughs> you know, I could feel my test, my, my chest tightening. And I'm like, okay, relax, nice. breathe, Good mindfulness. breathe. And I'll be honest, <laughs> it didn't help a whole lot cause I, <laughs> because it stirred some stuff up. So, but you know, the one, the one good thing that came out of it is I, instead of like sitting there and internalizing it and just letting it mm -hmm. get the best of me, I made a phone call and discussed it and it went away. Nice. But I'm just, you know, I wanted to share that because yeah. we can be mindful. We can have mindfulness to realize, okay, this is going on. I understand it. I understand it. And that's not going to always make it just kind of slowly go away. So, you know, I just wanted to share that with you because I remember going through that and I recognized all the signs of what Good. was going on. Good. So it's, yeah. 
Well, and like you said, we'll actually choose situations in the world that are more uncomfortable because they're predictable oh. and they're more familiar. So, right. you know, if, if we know violence, if we know um, emotional deprivation, we'll choose cold people. <laughs> cold people will be like familiar. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and it'll be so unconscious because we have felt so comfortable in that discomfort that we in, have internalized that as that's what's familiar. That's what's common. I think a great analogy. Just think of, think of it this way, guys. Your norm, what you're comfortable in when you're, when you're struggling with this stuff is like living in a hurricane. It's 100-mile-an-hour wind just blowing every single moment of the day. Yet somehow you accept that as your normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we're all on a continuum with, with trauma. Um, I myself am a survivor of abuse and very intense trauma, so I understand this stuff inside out, up and down through my own um, work that I've had to do on myself. But, you know, it's, it's like even 15 years later, post working on myself, I will still have things that come up that are mm-hmm. overwhelming. And I'm so much more aware of them when they're arising now. And I'm, I'm able to be more conscious with them and I know what to do, but they're still arising. And I think it's, I think it's, I used to think it, it would go away but it doesn't necessarily go away. It becomes more palpable. It becomes easier to regulate and you don't run the marathon with the reactions in the body. You're able to pause and regulate yourself around it so that you can be more functioning in the world and not necessarily make choices from that right. reactive state. I think it's, well, it's a part of you. It's always going to be a part of you. It's always going to be, in some ways, I think you have to look at it this way. Maybe it's it's a great reminder of what you don't want, which will help you make a better choice Mm -hmm. when those choices come to you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's the way that I see it now is is you know trauma and pain are my teachers, and when they show Mm -hmm. up, instead of me trying to push them away and 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 roll my eyes and say, Oh God, here it is again, 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 again. I say, okay, what, what is it here to teach me? Why, why is this arising inside me? I need to stop and I need to look at where's my mind focusing? Who am I interacting with? What are the choices that I'm making? What is happening right here, right now? That's great. I mean, that's, I think everybody out there listening, think about that. When something really gets you stirred up, don't get pissed. Don't, run away from it, try to understand, okay. And don't explode. What's triggering this? Yeah. What's triggering this? What is happening? And once you can kind of figure out what's triggering it, it's going to, it will soothe you. Yeah. In time. Yeah, in time. And I just want to share, you know, I, being in the psychology field, we had to do a lot of our own work. And that's where my ability to, be with myself and see myself in those states came from is, is having somebody outside me say, wow, 
this is what's happening right now for you. You're not even breathing. And I'm like, whoa, I'm not even breathing. Like I'm not taking breaths. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's hard to do on your own because, mm-hmm. you know, neurobiology of trauma is, it moves at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per hour, right? So when we are activated, it is like, a, it's like a wildfire. And, and to get a hold of that can be really, really hard, especially if you're trying to do it on your own. Yeah. So, but it's possible over time. Um, our, our, our third show is going to be about how to deal with trauma and, and different ways to cope with the body and, and, you know, ways to, to learn how to live more comfortably with it. But until that time, you know, it's, it's definitely not easy to regulate what's happening when it happens. And like you said a few minutes ago, I mean, every day is going to bring a new set of challenges. So like you said, maybe yesterday, Mm -hmm. You were just flowing. You were on yep. top of everything. You felt great. Then, then you went to the supermarket maybe today and saw saw an avocado, and somehow the avocado triggered something from the past. Like totally. I, <laughs> I mean, you just you never know, you know. Or you see, or for me, like some, if I see an ex, <laughs> or if I you know hear from somebody, or right. get a text from somebody I haven't talked to in a while that maybe I didn't have the best connection right, right, to right, right. oh man my mood could change like on it's, the drop of a dime it's a constant battle yeah. it's a constant battle it's constant work that we all have to do I mean I know you and I have done a lot of work and we've come a long way over the year yeah and years yeah but yeah as I said every day something new is going to pop up that could trigger something in you that uh well yeah gets you a little riled up and the, the last piece I want to add to that is we don't necessarily, we don't hold trauma in the mind. We hold it in the body memory. Hmm. So we could be going through our lives and be in like a panicked state and not even understand why, but the body knows why. Hmm. There was a great Grey's Anatomy episode. I love Grey's Anatomy. And a couple weeks ago, one of the doctors went into like a psych ward because she Anyway, she was adopted out as a baby and she found her mom and her mom pulled away from her and this put her in the psych ward. And when she was in a, you know, in the psychiatric ward, her therapist told her that, you know, it was okay that she was having such a hard time. And the doctor was like, I'm a doctor. I, I heal people. Why is it such a big deal that my mom pulled away from me when I saw her? Why is it frozen in my head? And the therapist sat down the floor next to her and said, sweetie, it's not that your mom pulled away from you. It's that your body remembered when she first left you and abandoned you when you were a baby. Mm. And so the body memory, you know, got activated. So she thought it was because her mom pulled her hand away. In actuality, it was because her body remembered when her mom first pulled away from her and left her abandoned. So there was a huge trauma that came up for her. And they actually, the whole, the whole episode was about trauma and the body remembering. So it's not the mind that remembers the trauma. It is the body. Hmm. It's pretty powerful stuff. There's a book called um, The Body Keeps Score. It's a hmm. good book. And it's about how, you know, like John was just saying, you could be going through your day and suddenly your chest gets really tight. Well, there's some kind of body memory that got activated and the mind could be singing a song and have no, no idea like what's going on, but the body 
the body remembers. There's something so familiar about the feeling state that happened and or whatever the body came into contact with that it's activating your system, your mm. nervous system. Deep stuff, man. It's good stuff, though. I love it because it's so relevant. We all we all have this on so many, just different levels for yeah. everybody. Yeah. You know, the big T stuff. I know you're dealing with some, some big stuff from your past. And, yeah. you know, as I said in the first show we did, I don't have any big traumas, but I've got a lot of little traumas yeah. that get stirred up all the time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, the thing that I want to say out there to the listeners is if you've had big T traumas happen by people that were supposed to protect you and keep you safe, it is so hard to heal that. And it is no one can understand it. You know, when, when people let you down like that, it, it changes how you see everything. Cause now the world is not safe. If your world is not safe in your family of origin or with the people close to you, then there is a, your body believes that the world is not a safe place. So that's how it impacts us intrapsychically and then interpersonally. People are not safe. Life is not safe. And it sets up a system to support that. Yeah, I believe that. So it, it's just, it's so intense. And unless you've been through something like that, you can't, it's like this bubble gets popped and suddenly you're like in this whole new reality that nobody really understands unless they've been through something like that. It's say, very it's profound. Like, it's like I hear, you know, when someone tells me something, like I know, yeah. I know more about what you've been through. It's like, I hear you. I get it, but I'll never fully understand it because I've never been through it. Yes. It's like childbirth. (laughs) Exactly. We could talk about childbirth, but until you birth a child. But that's a great way to, yeah, yeah, that's a great analogy right there because as a man, it's like, (laughs) it can't feel good, but I, you know, but we would never have a clue what you go through. Yeah. But we see it and we're like, whoa, that's like deep. Yeah. So, so. You know, moving on from that place, how trauma impacts how we see ourselves, our core beliefs that we form about ourselves over time, these big T traumas, and like John said, accumulated small T traumas over time, and then how we see the world and, and, you know, how the world, we start interpreting the world. And, you know, sometimes something will happen to us. And like I said, if we're in a triggered place, if we're always in a heightened nervous system, or we're going to see it as like something to fight or something to view as a potential threat instead of an opportunity to grow. So, you know, we're, we're not in that calm nervous system that can see it from a, a, a more of a hindsight, mindful kind of place of, oh, wow, this is an opportunity for me to break a cycle or do, we're like, no, it's something that's going to hurt us. We need to, we need mm-hmm. to get ready. We need to attack. We need to defend. We need to hide. We need to do so. It's it's really interesting how the body will do that on its own. And so that the next piece uh, actually is just kind of wrapping up that piece is, and we we t- touched on this a little bit is, but the choices we make about situations in the world. Do we choose healthy people or do we choose people <laughs> that are more tr- you know going to activate our traumas? And we will unconsciously, unconsciously choose people that are going to activate our traumas. So why do we do this? We do this because the body wants to heal. So it will continue to bring things up in your 
environment, in your consciousness to show you, please look at this. Please do something about this. And if we don't have the right support, the right container around us, we will continue to react, numb out, not want to feel it, fight, perceive the world and ourselves as bad and unsafe, and just stay stuck in that kind of cacophony, like that, that butterfly cocoon of trauma. I'm thinking right now. So what do you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. Because, I mean, I think everybody out there, hearing what she just said, has probably noticed a cycle that they've gone through. It could be a relationship. It could be anything. It could be exercise. It could be your nutrition. It's a cycle that we run into that we keep doing the same thing, even though deep down we don't. We know what we're doing is wrong. So how do you how do you fix that? Yeah, that's that's, that's I mean, going to be our third show. That's, so I know you're going to. What tune a in. what a great lead in, huh? I know you're going to tune in. But it's God, it's <laughs> so true. It's like I mean, we all. I mean, yeah. come on, I we all go through that. It's like I know what I'm doing. I should not be doing. Well, and and that's a beautiful segue into like the third part of the show, which is we begin to notice patterns. So when we're, if we're stepping back right now and we're listening to the show and we're saying, okay, do we have traumas that are impacting our life right now? We can look at patterns and themes and situations in our lives where we keep feeling hurt. We keep feeling invalidated. We feel minimized. We feel unsupported on and on and on and on. If you step back and start looking at areas that you're feeling those ways and you will see that you keep going back or you keep returning to the same place. That's another thing I want to share about this. This is a good example is we will continue to reach for people that we think are going to support us, but actually hurt us. We'll Mm -hmm. actually fall into a pattern where we keep reaching for those same people that keep in turn hurting us instead of supporting and helping us. And that's an unconscious pattern too. And again, this is this can be accumulation of small T's and or big T's. If we talk about those, if we really look at those attachment attachment wounds that have happened to us, and you know, like the parent that is um, avoidant, that isn't responding to us when we're crying as a child, or we don't feel emotionally supported by our parents, we will date and interact with people that are unavailable. Over and over and over. Oh, how many times have you dated the same person over and over in a different body? I mean, John, how many times in the past, in the past, have you dated the same emotionally unavailable woman or the same kind of woman that was not what you were right, really right, looking right. for? Right. So this is this is what we do. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's amazing because you you can tell yourself you're not doing it, <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think there, it's 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 a crazy, crazy thing. So, you know, if you're listening to the show right now, what are some areas in your life that are not working for you? They're probably going to be relational areas, mm-hmm. right? And it could also be how you're relating to yourself. I was listening to somebody that is in recovery from nicotine, and they were saying that they grew up in this domestic violence family. And when they would smoke a cigarette, it was the same 
it's like she was perpetrating violence on her body the way that she was perpetrated on in her family. Because when you're smoking a cigarette, there's like hundreds of chemicals in that thing. And you're turning to it to help you, but what it's actually doing is slowly killing you. So there's this reenactment, we call it in the field, of, you know, you're not getting hit by somebody, but what you're doing is choosing to turn to something that's slowly killing you. So it's, it's this, this is what we do. This is, this is why we need to stop and pause and take a look at how are we treating our bodies, right? So how, what do we do? Are we overeating? Are we smoking? Are we, you know, continuing to interact with people that are rude to us or not unsupportive that remind us of people that hurt us? Like, how is all of this manifesting? So, right? This has been one of my favorite shows. Really? It, yeah, it's just making me connect so many dots for myself. I just find Do it. Do you want to book a session, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just. Yeah. Again, it's stuff that I'm consciously aware of, but it's always, I think, so helpful to have a discussion about it because it really brings it to light and makes you realize some things that maybe you just missed. Yeah, and, and there's... And I think it's important, too. I mean, I think it's great that Christine and I are having this discussion and you guys are listening, but it's important to have people in your life that you can actually have a conversation like this with because it it will open your eyes and shed some light on things that maybe you're just missing. Or maybe it's something that a friend would love to say to you, but doesn't want to hurt you. Mm-hmm. By opening that line of communication, maybe they'll finally they'll say something to you that you've been needing to hear. How many of us know somebody that keeps dating horrible people? <laughs> no, really. I, mean, <laughs> I just love the way you said that. Well, no. People. Horrible people. Okay. This by like, you know, where you're like, oh, sweet Jesus, what is she doing to herself? Why is she dating this guy? Or why is he dating this woman? We all know someone like that. If we really dig into that person, we're going to find some trauma there. Where Something has happened to that person. <laughs> they have, you know, on some level, they feel they deserve to be treated bad and or it's, it's more familiar to be treated poorly because their core beliefs about themselves are being validated unconsciously by this bad person they keep dating. I mean, you know, I, I've rolled my eyes a few times at myself, at people I know, until I started to find some compassion and say, why am I doing this? Why are they doing this? And if you really dig and unpack that, it's because there is a familiarity with the dysfunction that they are creating Mm -hmm. and they don't even realize they're doing it. So again, the body remembers we create what is uncomfortably comfortable and we do not create from a place of consciousness. We can sit and try to manifest all we want. If our nervous system is in a constant state of fight or flight or freeze, and we have had a lot of trauma that we have not worked on yet, it will dominate our lives our perceptions Mm -hmm. and how we view the world. That's tricky too. Cause I think if you know people that are going through stuff like this, you need to be sympathetic and compassionate to them because as Christina just said, they're not, I don't think they're consciously making these decisions, whatever it is, relationships or whatever addictions. There's so, there's such a deep rooted thing that they're struggling with. Yeah. And we need to be somewhat compassionate to what that struggle is because a lot of the time they're not even 
aware of why they're doing what they're doing. Exactly. And that's unfortunate, but that's what we run into. Well, we are so glad that you joined us today, and we are excited to be back on the air and to have power in Northern California. And I wanted to share that I'm going to be doing an online training on trauma and trauma health. So it's going to be a three-hour workshop. If you are interested in knowing more or working with me, email me at trustaftertrauma.com. Fantastic plug there. Thank you. And guys, I do personal coaching, and my coaching revolves around nutrition, physical activity, and obviously self-improvement. If any of those things strike something in you that you'd be interested in, please check out my website at balancedbydesigncoaching.com. I do a free 30-minute consultation, and I also am going to be doing a little like 12 to 15-minute podcast every couple of weeks, just focusing on those three components because something that I'm passionate about and just want to start, well, talking more about. So, yeah. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, guys. Have a great night.